That's good. That, that's my walk-up song this morning. You guys uh, recognize that song? Money by Pink Floyd. What a great song. Guess what we're talking about this morning? Money. I think it'd be cool to have a walk-up song every Sunday. You know how baseball players in the major leagues, when they go up to home plate, there's a special song that plays? I think this could become something like a tradition of sorts here at Victory Point, have a walk-up song. Well, good morning. My name's Matt. I'm the lead pastor here, and I just echo what Brendan just prayed and said. Thanks for taking that survey, Um, because we really want to see how we're doing with our vision to bring the kingdom and our mission to make disciples, and where's God inviting us to lean into. So uh, very, very grateful that you gave us some time with that this morning. Uh, Today, we continue our series. It's up on the big screen there, Practicing His Presence, Preparing Our Heart Soil for Spiritual Growth. So you remember there, one time Jesus told a story, a parable, about a farmer who scattered or sowed seed widely. And uh, he just spread seed everywhere. And some of the seed fell on a path, and some of the seed fell among the rocks, and some of the seed fell around the thorns, and some of the seed fell on good soil. And Jesus said the seed that fell on the good soil produced a harvest or a yield up to a hundred times what was sown. That's where real growth happens, isn't it? In the good soil. It's in the good soil where things take root and become fruit. Real growth happens in the good soil. But here's the deal. You know this. I know this. It's a simple principle. Good soil doesn't just happen. It doesn't just like appear. Good soil takes effort. Good soil takes work. It takes intentionality. I mean, consider what a farmer does to prepare a field to be good soil. I mean, there's the clearing of the rocks. I mean, how many of you have like worked for a farmer where you are walking through the field, picking up the rocks, putting them in the bucket? Um, There's, you know, if there's thorns, maybe you're burning the thorns out of the field. You're pulling the weeds. Maybe you're a gardener. You're, You're watering, you're weeding, you're fertilizing. Good soil doesn't just happen. It takes effort and it takes work. And I want to suggest, and Brendan kind of suggested this to us last week, the same is true of our spiritual lives. The same is true when it comes to spiritual growth. Spiritual growth doesn't just happen all by itself. It requires intentionality. It requires effort. There are things we can do, disciplines that we can practice that contribute and prepare our heart soil for spiritual growth. So what, what, are, what, what is a spiritual discipline? Well, just a simple definition I want to offer us today comes from John Ortberg. He wrote a book called The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. He defines a spiritual discipline like this. A spiritual discipline or a practice is any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. Spiritual disciplines They're predictable patterns that we choose to engage in that contribute to preparing our heart soil for spiritual growth. The Apostle Paul, he calls it, he likens it to training. He uses the imagery of training. Brendan looked at that passage last week in 1 Corinthians 9 when, when Paul talks about those who are preparing for the games, running, boxing, the Olympic games, like they go through strict training to prepare themselves for success. I mean, this is not a foreign principle. We get this. I saw on Facebook, 
Matter of fact, yesterday, um, like some of you ran in the tulip time race yesterday. Some of you ran the 5K. I don't know if Jason Cow is here and Zach, like they ran their first 5K. You know, some people ran a 10K yesterday. Some, some kids from this congregation ran their first 5K yesterday. The, you, you don't just wake up and run. Like you, you train for such things. You, you put effort into such things. I, I know this coming Saturday, a number of you here in this congregation are going to be running I know some people are going to be running the 5K at the Riverbank Run. Myself and Crow and Brad Coning, we're going to run the 10K. We're not just waking up and running. Like, we've been training. I know, like, Lon, you're running the 25K again next Saturday. That's 15.5 miles. Taylor, I don't know if Taylor's here this morning. He's running the 5K or the 25K next Saturday at Grand Rapids. I mean, these people don't just get up and run 15 miles. Most of us can't do that. It requires intentional, long-term training and investment and effort if we want to have results. Same is true of our spiritual life. Now, there's obviously lots of spiritual disciplines or practices that we could talk about in this series. There's way more than we have time to cover in this series. But for this series, we've chosen some of them that we want to draw attention to and some of the more non-traditional ones that we want to offer to you as spiritual disciplines, things that you can do to prepare your heart soil to receive from God. So last week, Brendan kicked off this series in, a, in an awesome way, and he, he dove into one primary foundational spiritual practice um, that if we're not engaging in, I don't know if any of these other ones are really that valuable. He talked about getting into this book, getting into the Word of God regularly in a predictable way. Like in such a way that you begin to, I love the imagery he used, you begin to scuba dive into the depths of the scriptures and not just skim across the surface on a jet ski, you know, occasionally, but, but really to intentionally, what is the practice we have? What is the spiritual practice or discipline we have of getting into the word of God? It's one of the, it's the primary way that God speaks to us. So we, we need to be into the word. Today I want to suggest giving. I want to suggest that, that giving, giving of our, of our resources, but in particular our money, I want to offer it to you to consider as a spiritual discipline, as a practice that, that God invites us and expects us to engage in that, that God uses to prepare our heart soil to receive from him and to experience spiritual growth. Now, I just want to admit from the get-go, excuse me, that uh, that. Um, in the past, I used to get kind of worked up and nervous and stressed and anxious about talking about money, you know, from up front. Because uh, I'm not that experienced in it. And, and I, I know, I, I'm just aware that for many of you, many of you like sitting here, like w- whenever the church begins to talk about money, walls go up. Because you have this association, right? Like you have this association, that's all the church wants. The church just wants my money. Or maybe you've had bad experiences. Or, or I mean, this is definitely like an area or a practice that has been abused in, in, in some churches or televangelists and things like that. And so the, the, these understandable walls sort of go up. But, but in the, when, when I consider it though, like the, when I look at the scriptures, the truth is God talks a lot about money. He does. He, he talks a lot. It's, it, there's been stats that say like 800 times in the scriptures, um, it talks about money. Um, Jesus, uh, aside from the kingdom of God, talked about money the most. Um, it, it's a big deal to God. It's important to God. And so it needs to be important to us. Now, what this isn't about is this isn't about Victory Point wanting your money. That's not what this is about. And I had to do a serious 
motivation check on myself before I felt like we could talk about this. And I, I remember like months ago, I thought like we should really talk about giving. And uh, I, I think at first it was, you know, I connected it up with the budget. And, and I had to take a walk this morning around the parking lot uh, before I even felt like, um, y- y- you know, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Before I felt confident that I could come up here uh, and really check my motives. Like, like, this isn't about meeting our budget. It's not about that at all. The, 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 we don't give to meet a budget. A budget just simply guides how to spend what's given. Um, th- this is a much bigger deal. This is a much bigger issue than Victory Point. This isn't about God needing our money. This isn't about Victory Point needing your money. This is about God wanting our hearts. God wanting our hearts. Giving is a discipleship issue, so we should naturally talk about it. And we should probably talk about it often because Jesus talked about it often because he understood the connection between our money and our hearts. So that's why we're talking about it this morning. So with that in mind, let's pray and let's dive in. Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning that we have to gather as family, as the body of Christ, as we've been scattered all over the community uh, during the week. We come back together to raise our hallelujahs, to acknowledge that you're the one that fights the battles, um, to get recentered, to get filled up, um, to be reminded not to give up and to keep going as, as we work to bring your kingdom, to participate and partner with you in kingdom bringing in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our community and the world. So speak to us today. Speak to us specifically and personally and corporately um, about, this, about this topic and about your heart for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're talking about money. I bet money is something that most of us think about every day. Usually in terms of like, how do I get more of it? How, how can I have some more of this thing called money? And, and as you think about the three socioeconomic kind of statuses or, or classes that we sort of think of for society, it's been suggested that this is how each class sort of maybe thinks about money. Upper socioeconomic class, how can I plan for an amazing future and really have nice things now? Maybe if you're in the middle or middle class socioeconomically, how, how can I plan for an adequate future and have nicer things than I have now? And those maybe in the, in the lower socioeconomic class, how can I have anything in the future and at least have the necessities of life right now? Now, every one of us in this room fits in one of those categories. And, and maybe some of us are sort of in between, you know, two of those categories. And let's just acknowledge from the get-go, everything's relative. Everything's relative. Usually we, we compare ourselves to those above us. And we recognize like they have what I don't have and they have what I want. Usually we, we always compare upward, don't we? But let's also just admit this morning that even those of us, even in this room who might fit the lower socioeconomic category, we would be considered, compared to the world, we would be considered pretty rich compared to most developing countries. I looked up some stats, and you guys have heard this kind of stuff before, but if you make $32,400 a year or more, you're in the top 1% of, of wage earners worldwide. Top 1%. All it takes is $32,400 in the top 1% of wage earners worldwide. Nearly half the world lives on $5.50 a day. Um, it, 
nearly half of the world. Nearly half of the world lives on 550 a day. If you do the math, times that by 365, that's just over $2,000 a year. Half the world gets by on 2,000 or so dollars a year. So, so it's all relative. And, and comparatively, whatever class we find ourselves in, we're, we're pretty rich compared to the world. But we're going to talk about us this morning, okay? Now, there's all kinds of passages that we could look at. And over time, as we continue to come back to this topic, we'll look at different passages. But the passage I want to look at today is found in the book of 1 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, I just want to encourage you to open it to 1 Timothy. It's towards the end of the New Testament. And, and if you know anything about you know, this particular letter, uh, this is the Apostle Paul that wrote this letter. And he's writing to his young friend, Timothy. And Timothy is probably 16 or late teens at, at this time. Um, and at the very beginning of the letter, Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. So this is a special relationship. Timothy isn't just anybody to Paul. Paul thinks of Timothy sort of as a spiritual son. So the words that we're going to read in 1 Timothy are, are like a, a spiritual father you know, offering advice and encouragement and challenge and wisdom, you know, to, to his son, to, to his child. So 1 Timothy, turn to chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading in um, verse 6. It says this, and Seth, you can advance these as I read this from, from my Bible. It says this, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. So I just want to think about this word contentment today. This word contentment. In the Greek, the, the Greek word for contentment is autarkeia, which means a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. Or it's a sufficiency of having the necessities of life. That is that when it comes to what we need, everything is in harmony and everything is at peace. There's no worry. There's no anxiety. There's no stress. Just this sense that God has provided everything that I need. And I don't lack anything. That's contentment. That's contentment. Now in this passage, in, in these, these words of wisdom that Paul offers to Timothy, he contrasts contentment with this love of money. Now I just want to make it crystal clear. Paul is not saying that money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is it's neutral, right? Money's just, it's a commodity. Money can be used for good. It can be used for bad. It's neutral. It's the love of or the worship of money that can become evil, that can become this, this slippery slope that, that we find ourselves on that can lead to great temptation and can, can plunge us in, into ruin. And, and often it happens subtly over time. Now, if I were to ask... Um, if I were to ask for a show of hands this morning, like how many here love and worship money? Like, I don't think anyone's going to raise their hand, right? No, no, I don't love or worship money. But I found this uh, video. Can you play that 
that video is kind of fun. There. Glad we clarified that. Okay. Deep thoughts from a shallow Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page now. No one here loves money, is in love with money, but we might date money. But So yeah, if I were to ask this morning, show of hands, who here loves or worships money? Probably none of us is going to be brave enough to raise our hand. But would that mean then that if I were to ask, raise your hand if you are content in life with just the necessities? Does that mean most of us would raise our hand like, you know what? I'm content. I am at peace. I have contentment. All I have and all I need are the necessities and that is well taken care of. I am content. I mean, I just think it's something we need to wrestle with and and be honest with as we dialogue about this practice. You know, are we content? Are we content with food, clothing, and shelter? The necessities of life. When Paul talks to Timothy, when he talks about clothing, clothing in the Greek can also imply shelter. Are we content with food, clothing, and shelter? For real. Are we? I mean, it's kind of the difference between needs and wants, if we were to put it really simply. I mean, what's the difference? Well, needs are food, clothing, and shelter. Wants are everything else. Everything else. Needs can be satisfied, and and it can lead to a, a place of contentment in our lives. But wants... They can create this continual desire for better and, and for more and can lead subtly to this love of money. So are, I think that's a legit question as we think about this discipline. Are we content with the necessities of life, food, clothing, and shelter? So how do I know? How do I know if I'm content with the necessities of life? Well, my friend Chris, who, who coaches me a lot and I learn a lot from, um, he suggests that there's three indicators Three indicators that, that help to reveal if we're living from a place of contentment or not. You know, think of this like a litmus, litmus test, if you will, like sort of a, a self-evaluation. He says, here's three signs that we're living out of a place of contentment. I give God the first tenth of my income. I spend less than I make. And I seek to be generous with my money to people in areas of need around me. How many of these can you say yes to? How many can you say yes to? I know for me, as I was preparing this message and I was really honestly reflecting on these three indicators, um, yes, I could say yes to the first one. That's a practice that has become um, very important to Tori and I. I, I. I hate to admit it hasn't always been the case. Like early on, like even in my Christian life or even on in my ministry life, um, I, I can't say that I practice that, you know, um, all the time. But over the, the, the last years of my life, over the recent past, like that's become something that's very important to me and, and something that, that um, God has taught me a lot about. And I could say yes to the first one. 
I could say yes to the third one. I seek to be generous with my money. Like, we, we love helping people. We love blessing people. We, we love, you know, partnering with God in, in, in things above and beyond the, just this church. The second one, though, that's been a battle for me. I mean, if I'm going to be honest. Like, a lot of you have probably been way better at that than I have. But, like, as I look back and I've reflected back on my life, you know, this week and um, as I've been preparing this, like, man, that's the one that, that I got, you know, kind of, like, um, kind of got in a bad way with. Like, just out of college and, and as a young man and early marriage, like, I just, I, I lived beyond my means. And it, and it got me into trouble and uh, still kind of working my way out of some of that. So it was an indicator to me that, huh, looking back, like, I haven't always been content. I've struggled with contentment. And, and God is really doing a work in me and um, just revealing some great things to me. I, I can honestly say, like, like these, th- these three things are true of me now. But they weren't always. And that might be your story today, too. Um, maybe we're all a work in progress, right? We're a work in progress on these things. But, but here's the proposition. If we can't say yes to all three of those things, it might be an indicator that we're struggling with contentment in life. That we might not be content with just the, the necessities of life, food, clothing, and shelter. Or at least like me, one time we weren't, and we're still kind of working our way and digging out of that a little bit. Excuse me, a little bit. All three of these, I want to suggest to you, are biblical principles. They're biblical principles that God desires for us. And I think unless we're living, you know, maybe in mis, you know, could be true of some of us, unless we're living in extreme poverty, all three of these things can be practiced without jeopardizing food, clothing, and shelter. But they can't be practiced maybe without compromising wants. And, and I think that's where the rubber hits the road. So, so here's the, the big picture. Here's the heart of what I want to say to us today. The issue isn't money. It's, the issue isn't money. Someone with lots of money can have no love of money. And someone with little money can worship money. It's not a matter of quantity. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart, and God wants your heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's why I think Jesus talked a lot about money. He understands the grip that this this capital, financial capital, can have on our hearts. How we tend to overvalue it, and how we tend to stress about it, and we get consumed about it. And here's the deal. God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share our hearts with anything else or anybody else. God wants our heart completely and fully. He wants full occupancy of our hearts. That's why such a good and kind and gracious God gives us these kind of principles to to manage our money by because he cares about our heart. That's the bottom line. He cares about our heart. He wants our hearts to be filled with the love of God, not the love of money. So he asks us to give up control. He asks us to give up control of it and to trust him. So I just want to take a quick look at these three practices, okay? Number one, I give God the first tenth of my income. Throughout the Bible, um, Old Testament, New Testament, you see this principle of giving God the first fruits, of, of giving God the first portions, of giving God the first tenth, not because God needs our money. Do you really think that God who spoke the universe into existence depends on us, on our money. You think God really needs our money? It's not like the offering bags were just passed a little while ago and we go in and count it and God's like, got enough to make it this week. Okay, we're gonna be all right. That's not God. He, 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 he doesn't ask for it because he needs it. 
Psalm 50, 9 and 10 says that God doesn't need our bulls or our goats or our sacrifices. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. Or if you go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything is already God's. It already belongs to God. Sometimes I, I, and Dwight was, I appreciate what he was saying earlier. Sometimes I think when it comes to this practice or this discipline of tithing, I think sometimes we falsely develop this this view that, okay, first 10% is God's, 90% is mine. You know, this dime to God, 90 cents is mine. It's all his. The the first 100% is his, not the first 10%. It's already his anyway. It all belongs to him. All we have is from the Lord's and is the Lord's. And he expects us and desires for us to steward it wisely in his kingdom. God doesn't need our money. So why does he invite us and expect us to to give back, to tithe? Because it's for us. It's for us, not for him. Because it's an issue of control. It's an issue of control. And if we're honest in, in our vulnerable moments, we can be control freaks. And we can view everything as ours. And and God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to live freely. So tithing is an issue of release. It's an issue of control. It's an issue of trust. The spiritual discipline of tithing is this acknowledgement before the Lord that I understand that everything I have, all 100% of what I have is yours, God, and that you are in control and I am not. Tithing is actually more for us than it is for anything else. God wants us to have freedom. That's his heart. He wants us to have freedom. And freedom comes with relinquishing control and letting him be in the driver's seat. You know, Paul talks about it when he's writing a letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you, should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I mean, you see this principle even in the New Testament, this expectation as Paul's coaching believers and disciples, this expectation that regularly, weekly, like based on your income, you put some aside and, and you give it. And you give it for the church and for the kingdom of God. Now, if you're, you know, maybe you're here this morning and tithing is like a totally foreign concept to you. Maybe because you've never heard of it before or you just have never really understood it. I just want to offer just some principles about about tithing, this spiritual practice that God invites us to practice. Number one, tithing. 10%, I just want us to be clear on this. 10% is not the law, it's a guideline. It was the law in the Old Testament um, it was very strict, actually, and it was very um, specific on, on how much you give to the Lord, the, the first 10%. But in the New Testament, I, I would suggest it's, it's more of a guideline. It's maybe 10% isn't, it's the minimum. It's, it's something to shoot for, and you can even go above it. I had lunch recently with someone who, who calls Victory Point home, who shared with me that um, in their family, they, they're up to 20% now. And they just can't outgive God. He keeps blessing them. He keeps providing for them. And he keeps coming through for them in, in all kinds of weird ways. You can't outgive God. I, I think that's a biblical principle. Um, so, so 10% is just a guideline. You know, so some, some people might ask, well, should I give 10% of my gross or my net? It's, it's grace, not law. 
Um, that's, that's a law question. We're not under the law. It's, it's a guideline. You know, you, you talk to the Lord and, and you figure that out with the Lord. It, it's a guideline and it's meant to bring us to a place of freedom. Number two, it's given to God's church without control of where it goes. Again, we take the first portion and we give it over to God and we release control. We trust God. We, we trust the leaders with it because God wants us to experience freedom from control. It's regular and it's consistent. In the passage that I just read, um, there was this rhythm of weekly. It's, not, it, it's grace, not law. It doesn't have to be weekly for you. Just what is regular, what is consistent, what is predictable. For some people, weekly is the best route to go. Some people probably give every other week. Some people maybe give once a month. Whatever it is, it's just meant to be predictable and consistent. You know, one of the things that have really um, been an area of breakthrough for me in being consistent Online giving. I mean, I, I know that it feels weird when the bags are passed and you're not putting anything in it, but online giving is such a great tool and resource we have available now today to help be consistent. So I know every Friday, X amount of dollars goes from Makatawa Bank to Victory Points account. I mean, just every Friday. I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to um, worry about it. It just, whether I'm here, whether I'm not, whether I'm on vacation, wherever I am, it's just happening. And, and I would suggest if, if, if consistency is something you struggle with, to consider online giving. You can go to our website and, and sign up for that. That app, remember the app that Brendan introduced you to last week? You could do it on the app. Just uh, in the e-news, you can find a way to get to that app if you want. You can work it out with your bank. Um, just whatever, whatever works for you to be consistent. And number four, the primary issue is not affordability, but trust. It's about the first portions because, you know, I used to be like this and, and I thank God for delivering me, you know, and, and helping me, you know, get victory in this area. But it used to be, maybe you can relate to this, like, well, it's kind of tight this week. There's a lot of extra bills coming up. So we'll have to see where I'm at at the end of the week or the end of the month or whatever. That, when you think about it, that's not first fruits, that's leftovers. Like if, if we just finished this series of Meal with Jesus, imagine Jesus comes over for a meal what do you serve him? Like, I got some three-day-old leftovers from American Chire in my fridge. Jesus would, I mean, that would be good. I mean, you know, but I'm going to give Jesus the best. I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, the first fruits. That, that's the principle here. Like, it, it's the first fruits, not the leftovers. Tithing is not an affordability issue. It's a trust issue. It's trusting that God, you can do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. I'm trusting you. I'm letting go of control, okay? And, and trust me, God wants us to take him up on this invitation and on this challenge. In Malachi chapter three, I think it is, you know, God says, put me to the test on this. Bring me the first fruits. Bring me the first fruits and see what I can do. Watch what will happen. How I will open up the storehouses of blessing in your life. It may not be the blessing like you think of, but, but God will not fail you if, you if you trust him with your finances. He has these weird ways of coming through in all kinds of you know, natural and supernatural ways. But he, he wants our heart and he wants us to release control and to trust him. You know, we were talking this week, Brendan and Dwight and I, as we were thinking about this message. And Dwight was, I don't know if we ever confirmed it, uh, but he was saying like he thought he heard a stat once that said, if, if every believer or Christian in the world tithed, practiced this principle, it would eradicate world hunger and all kinds of things like that. 
I mean, I think God knows what he's doing when he sets up this, this principle. Like, it's not, I mean, it's for us and it's for the release of control and for our heart, but it's also got great benefit when, when you collectively bring resources together. It's what the early church did. They, they, they would sell land and resources and bring it to the apostles and they, they would distribute it. Like, it, it can be multiplied into all kinds of cool things. I mean, I, I don't know how many, I wish I, you know, we used to do this assessment. Like, I, I wish we'd put on a question there, like, um, you know, how, how many VPers practice this principle? I don't know how much anybody gives at Victory Point. None of the elders know how much anybody gives. We'll never know that stuff. That's not for us to know. But I do think um, it would be cool to know, like, how many of us, like, are stepping into this practice, this particular practice of tithing? Because I think it is an indicator of, of spiritual growth. I think it is an indicator of, of discipleship and the emergence of a discipleship culture. How about you? Tithing isn't because God needs our money or because the church needs your money. It's for, uh, it, it's for you and, and for the preparation of your heart for spiritual growth. It's an issue of control. It's an issue of trust. Helps clear the rocks and the thorns from our heart soil because God wants our heart. Real quickly, the second one. I spend less than I make. I've admitted that, was, that used to be a, a big battle for me that I feel like I've got victory over now but it took a lot of work and it took a lot of effort took a lot of intentionality and I still struggle with it I looked up a stat check this out as of February of 2019 so just a few months ago for the first time Americans outstanding consumer debt as a whole now exceeds four trillion dollars as Americans we're in consumer debt of upwards to four trillion dollars the average American is in debt $38,000, not counting mortgages. Now think about it. Rarely do we go into debt, spend more than we make in order to meet our needs of food, clothing, and shelter. Some people might be in that situation. That's a tough situation. But normally, most of us, if we're honest, we go into debt not because of needs, but because of wants. Because we want more than we have. And we, we, we compare, and, and, and it creates debt which is stressful, which preoccupies our heart. And what did I say? God wants our heart. He, he wants our heart completely and wholly. That's why he doesn't want us to spend more than we make, because God doesn't want to share heart space with anything else that stresses us out or becomes an object of, of worship or pursuit. That's why God tells Timothy to tell or that's why Paul tells Timothy that, that godliness with contentment, man, it, that's of great gain. If you can reach that spot in life where you're content, um, you're going to experience freedom and victory and breakthrough in all kinds of ways. Because debt leads to bondage. It leads to slavery. The rich rule over the poor, it says in Proverbs 22. And the borrower is slave to the lender. It's so easy in our culture to spend more than we make because credit is so accessible and we're so enticed and we're so bombarded and barraged all the time to have things. I mean, just one week ago, I, I was on an airplane trying to make my way back from Iraq. Okay, Emily was with me. That's Emily right there. She was part of our team. She's joining us today. Um, and uh, and, and I'll, I'll talk sometime about Iraq. We don't have time in today's message, but give you a little bit more of a, a picture and a a story of what that trip was like, but it took us 48 hours to fly home. 
three flight cancellations, one really long delay. On the flight from Doha to Chicago, it was 14 and a half hours. There was a lot of babies on that plane, (laughs) wasn't there? A lot of crying babies on that plane. And I'm watching like the guy named Mike who was with us in front of me, oblivious to it. You know why? Because he has noise-canceling earphones. And I came away from that experience like, I need noise-canceling earphones. I mean, I I guess it's a want, but I think I need these kind of earphones because that looks awesome. And they're really expensive. And I battled with temptation, like the next day I'm home, like go on Amazon, like I'm going to order some of these. But I didn't. I don't have the money for them right now. Like I'm trying to like not spend more than I make. I I don't want to be in bondage. Okay? It takes effort and surrender and discipline to put God at the center of our finances and to be content. And then the last one. I want to be generous. That's a biblical principle. God wants us to be generous. In another letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, you know, since you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, complete earnestness, and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. If you're going to excel at anything, excel in giving. Excel in giving. When we give God the first portions, the first fruits of our money, and we trust him, and, and we release control and embrace trust, And when we don't spend more than what we make, we have money left over to be generous. We have money left over to join God in all kinds of conspiracies of grace in the kingdom of God. We see a need over there. We see an opportunity over here. This is free will giving. It's not like, uh, this isn't about surrendering control. This is about being generous because God is generous. You know, I, I, um, I'm going to save that because I'm looking at the time. Giving. I'm just going to sum it up here. And I'm going to invite us into a time of reflection. Giving is a practice that protects and prepares our heart for spiritual growth. I just want to offer that to you today. Maybe you've never thought of, of giving as a spiritual discipline. Like reading your Bible and praying. I want to suggest it is. I want to suggest it is in when we step into it and we begin to practice it, God gets our heart in a way that he hasn't had before. And he does amazing things in bringing about victory and breakthrough in our lives. So as we, I'm gonna invite the band forward. I just wanna put this one slide up here. Giving is a spiritual discipline. I just want you to reflect this morning. Where are you at with this? What is God speaking to you? Is he inviting you into something this morning to take a step deeper? There's two kinds of biblical giving that we talked about today in summary. There's kind of the tithe, the structured giving, and then the spontaneous giving. The structured giving is the consistent, regular giving, the the discipline of giving, often around 10%. The focus, trust, and releasing control to God. And the question is this. Here's the question to wrestle with. God, can I trust that you can do more with the 90% than I could ever do with control of the 100%? And then when it comes to spontaneous giving or generous giving, that's the occasional giving. That's the, the giving to people or opportunities as they come up. The, it's above and beyond the structured giving. It, it's, the focus on, on that is 
sacrifice and generosity. And the question in that one is, God, how are you prompting me? How are you prompting me to give as I seek to be generous with what you've given me? What's God speaking to you this morning? We, we, we say this a lot, that Jesus is my Lord and he's my Savior. We like the Savior part because our sins are forgiven and we get to spend eternity with God. But what about the Lord part? The Lord part means he, he wants to be king of our entire lives. Is Jesus Lord of your money? Is Jesus Lord of your, of your resources? Does he have control? Or are you fighting him for control? Maybe this morning you've never thought about giving as a spiritual practice or as a spiritual discipline for spiritual growth. Or, or maybe, maybe you're brand new to the faith. Can I just invite you to just start somewhere? Maybe 10% is too big of a leap at first. That's okay. Just discern with the Lord where to start. You can always grow it. But, but what does regular practice of, of giving to God look like? Maybe this morning you're like, man, that online giving, I, I might need to look into that. That would help me. Maybe you're married. Have you ever talked to your spouse about this? Have you ever gotten on the same page of, of your finances and what does it look like to make Jesus Lord of my finances together and to make decisions together? And to decide what this is going to look like in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and your finances are a mess. Been there, done that. Okay? Maybe you're just like, man, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't know how this could ever work. My finances, this area needs healing in my life. Maybe that's where you start. You just ask God to come in and to, to, to help and to heal we, we don't want, we, we, this isn't about like shame or embarrassment. Like if, if your finances are a mess, like we'd love to help. Like contact the church office, fill out a connect card. I mean, if, if there's a whole bunch of people, like maybe we can get a group going and, and just really help bring some, some light and some victory and some freedom to this area of our lives. But, but, but take it seriously because God takes it really seriously. He talks about it a lot. Because he doesn't want this to have our hearts. He wants our hearts. So what does that look like for you? How's God speaking to you? How are you going to apply what he's saying? Allow God to bring to the surface what he wants to speak to you. And then we'll close with a song. you stand. I'd love to pray for us. Lord, for those here in our midst this morning who are experiencing contentment and victory and breakthrough when it comes to finances, I celebrate that. I know that doesn't just happen. That's a result of intentionality and effort and work and surrender and trust. 
I pray that you would continue to, to move in those families and in those individuals, just inviting them into deeper expressions of, of trust and generosity and kingdom stewardship. And Lord, for anyone else this morning that like, man, this, I got work to do. That's okay. I, I pray that uh, you would meet them where they are this morning, that, that you would just give them the courage and the power to just discern what, what is the next good step for me in this? But what does the next step of trust look like? What does what releasing control look like? I pray that you'd bring people into our lives that can walk with us, that can help us. Because Lord, we really want you to have our hearts. We surrender it all to you. We, we, we don't, we're sorry for this, the things in our heart that we've, um, that we've uh, you know, kind of shared space with you on. We, we just, we get rid of those things. We want them out of there. We want you to be Lord. We want you to, to, to have our hearts. We want our treasure to be wherever the kingdom of God is. So Lord, um, bring breakthrough. Bring victory as, as, we, as we give it all to Jesus and we surrender it all to you and trust you because you're a good, good father. In your name we pray, amen. Let's sing these songs.